Well, if you would, would you grab a Bible and turn to Psalm 116 with me? Psalm 116. I'm reading from the ESV, so if you're using a a Bible app, you can um, grab that translation. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the row where you're sitting. Just grab that. Uh, Use that this morning. Psalm 116. If you open up to the middle of the Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms and just go to the number 116. If you don't have a Bible at home, would you just take that Bible home? Um, That's a gift from us. We want you to have a Bible in your home that you have access to and can read. Psalm 116. I want to read the first seven verses here. The Word of God says this, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you right now. As we open up your word, Lord, as was just prayed, God, would you illuminate your word for us? God, that we see what it is you desire for us to see this morning. That, God, that you would awaken and deliver our soul for your glory. God, thank you. Lord, thank you that we can be in this moment right now, that we can be gathered together. We can have your words opened in front of us. God, thank you that you are here. God, would you lead us in your ways this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. The psalmist starts this psalm with this phrase, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Love is such an interesting word, right? It's a word that we use often. You've heard it said so many times that we overuse the word love, right? That we love fill in the blank. Many times people will add objects of their love after that. I love and they'll name a food or I love and they'll name a person. I love and they'll name some tangible object, right? Can I say that the reason that we do that is because we're lazy? Like, do you know how many words there are for the word love in the English language? There's one. Do you know how many there are in the original language that the scriptures were written in? There's at least six or seven. So when you just read the English translation of the scriptures and you see the word love... We just have this general scope of what that word means. That's how we live our lives. But when you read this phrase in Psalm 116, I love the Lord, we are talking about a far greater love than you have for your favorite food. 
We're talking about a far greater love than you have, even for the person in your life who means the most to you, who you often say, I love you too. When the psalmist says, I love the Lord, I love you, Lord, it means something far, far deeper. But I think it leads us to this question, why? Why? Why does the the writer here say, I love the Lord? Why would we, even in this moment this morning, say, I love you, Lord? Why would we sing of God's love? If you continue reading, you see why the psalmist says, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Look at this. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. I think it is safe to assume that if that had been our prayer and the Lord had inclined His ear to us, He had heard that cry and He had delivered our soul that we would probably express our love for the Lord, right? If that was our reality, we would often say, I love the Lord, right? Because He has delivered me. But I wonder if many of us struggle to say, I love the Lord because He hasn't delivered us the way that we asked Him to. I wonder if we struggle to say, I love the Lord because our life hasn't gone according to our plan. Can we agree that many of us have had plans for our lives and very few of them have come to fruition? As young kids, you dream of doing certain things and then you suddenly meet adulthood and realize that many of those dreams don't happen. Does that mean that we shouldn't say, I love the Lord? Does that mean that the Lord hasn't delivered us from things? No, it just means that He's done it in a different way than we thought it would go. We talk about love. We oftentimes put it in two different categories. There's conditional love and there's unconditional love, right? Conditional love is this. If you, fill in the blank, I love you. If you do that, then I will express my love to you, right? Now, if you just read Psalm 116 on the surface, it seems as if the writer is saying that because God has done these things, now I'm going to love him, right? That it's conditional. Because God showed up in this way, now I'm going to love him. But the other type of love is that of unconditional, that regardless of what the other person does they will still be loved. That's how God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. It's not based on our merit. It's not based on what we have earned, what we deserve. No, He loves us anyway. 
oftentimes our love towards God is conditional, right? Because God didn't answer our prayers the way that he, that we wanted him to. So I'm going to struggle with my love towards him. But what if the psalmist is saying here, not a conditional type of love, but that he's saying the reason I'm able to love the Lord in this way is because he's proven his love over and over in my life. That even when the snares of death encompassed me, when I was suffering distress and anguish, and I called upon the Lord, He heard me. See, the writer has given valid reasons to why he loves the Lord. And these expressions that he says are proof of that love. God has inclined his ear to me in verse 2. When did he do that? When I called on the name of the Lord. In verse 4, I prayed, deliver my soul. He heard me. He delivered my soul. You say, why, why does the soul need to be delivered? Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 2. And I believe that we need to understand this to understand the depths of the love that this writer has for God. He's he says in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You say, that is not what I showed up to church to hear this morning. If you came to church this morning seeking to hear a word that makes you feel good about who you are and the way that you're living your life, even if God isn't honored in that, that's not what you're going to hear. Because the reality of our spiritual condition is that, that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. There is no hope apart from God. That even in the suffering and distress, even in the, the eternal damnation of our soul, God loved. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God has proved His love. Not just to the psalmist. He's proved it to us. 
We read in the New Testament that God so loved the world that He what? That He sent who? Jesus, His only Son. Not that the world so deserved God's love. No. God so loved this broken world, dead in their sins and trespasses. He so loved us that He sent the Savior. I don't know about you, but I think that's proof of God's love for us. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you say that that is proof of God's love so much so that we could even write in our own journals as the psalmist does here, I love the Lord. And not like I love pizza. Right? No, I love with a depth that I have no other love for. I love the Lord. Not because He has done specific things for me, but I love Him because of who He is. And because of who He is, He loved us even when we didn't deserve it. Right? So the psalmist says, I love the Lord, and here's why. He's proved it in this. He says in verse 5, God is gracious. God is righteous. God is merciful. See, we can say those things as facts, right? We can say factual statements like this. God is love. God is gracious. God is righteous. God is merciful. But we say those with a different tone and a different belief when we've experienced those things, right? When you have trusted in the person and work of Jesus for salvation, you have experienced God's grace and His mercy. Which means that we can say God is gracious and feel that in the depths of our souls. We can say God is merciful and we can feel that deep within us. Do you ever have trouble looking in the mirror and loving yourself? Do you ever have that trouble? Like I know as a teenager, like that, that kind of happened, like when you get that first zit, like, oh gosh, I can't love that thing on my face. There is no way that anybody else will, right? That's so superficial. Can we agree on that? But we all look in the mirror at some point and say, how can I love you? Right? And there's all kinds of thoughts that go through our heads. Things that we've done in the past. Things that we're currently involved in. Even just fears that are just crippling us. And you look in the mirror and you say, I can't love that person. But you know what happens when you say that, I can't love that person? God says, I do. God looks at you and says, I love you. And do you know that when you say, I can't even love myself, 
we're putting ourselves in the position of God. And God says, I love you anyway. God loves you. God is gracious. He gives you something that you don't deserve. God is merciful. He doesn't give you what you do deserve. God is righteous. He's good. And He loves you. He loves you. The psalmist says, I love the Lord. Verse 8, we prayed this earlier. He says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, He's delivered your soul. And maybe you haven't done that this morning. Maybe you haven't experienced the love of Christ. That He stood in your place on the cross. Maybe you need to trust that love this morning. Maybe you have trusted that love, but you've forgotten how much He loves you. Things aren't going well right now and you question whether or not God sees you and He cares for you and He loves you. He does. He sees you. He knows. He knows. Father God, would you give us a peace beyond all understanding this morning? God, would you give us a sense of comfort like we've never experienced this morning? God, some for the first time experiencing that because they recognize their need for a Savior. And they trust you this morning. God, you have time and time again proven your love for us. God, would we be able to express to you our love to you. God, you've proven your love for us. You desire to be in relationship with us. God, you walk with us. Lord, my prayer is that we would commit our lives to walking with you. And we would be able to say in the depths of our soul, I love the Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Love is a, a difficult thing. Love is difficult to express. Uh, love is difficult to feel when things aren't going the way that you thought they would. So um, this morning I want to transition into um, our story time. I want to invite uh, Gage and Crystal Harden uh, up here to join me. Um, they're going to share their story this morning.
Hi. Hello. Are you nervous? Nope. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> well, why don't you, uh, Gage, you have the mic. You don't get to hold it the whole time. Okay. Uh, why don't you tell us who you guys are, tell us about your family, how long you've been here at Restoration Church. Um, so I'm Gage Harden, Crystal Harden, my wife right here. Um, we, so I'm a middle school special education teacher here at ADM, and Crystal is an accountant in Waukee. Uh, we've been coming to Restoration since day one. We uh, came to the first preview service when we were at the high school, and then we were a part of the first um, cohort of members to join the class, uh, or to join the church as covenant members, aside from those who've launched. So we've been here from the beginning. Anything to add? We have two children. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Maddox is six and Zeke is four. So when originally we were asked about how long we had been attending church, I'm like, oh, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> like, yeah. And then you look at the children of the church and Noah, Zeke was six months old when we first came mm -hmm. here. So, like, it just, okay, well, it's been a little while. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. No. But, like, but oh, it has only been. been Restoration's <laughs> only been around for a couple years, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And we've, yeah. Been, we've been married for eight years in October, together yeah. for 10, so long time. Yeah. yeah. And you're from I'm where? from Missouri, and okay. Crystal is from Adel. So from here. She just moved back home. Yep. And brought you with her. And brought me with her. Yep. Mm -hmm. If anybody would have told me I'd been living in Iowa, I would have thought they were crazy. So, <laughs> but here I am. Here you are. Yeah. Um, so, you guys have been here from the beginning. Um, you mentioned Zeke was six months old when you guys uh, visited Restoration Church. And, um, yeah, you guys have stuck. Uh, been here for a while. Um, baptized in the church, right? Um, in, in the high school. Um, you, get, you guys got to experience the warm water baptisms. Uh, most people have experienced cold water. Um, so you're a little bit spoiled in that way. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about parenting today, um, but parenting in a, in a specific way. Um, uh, we're we're going to talk about parenting uh, special needs. Um, so uh, many of you know the Hardens, Many of you may not, and so uh, you're going to learn some things that uh, we, we've all had to learn along the way, right? Uh, you guys have experienced that the, the most. So, um, so Maddox, is, Maddox just turned six, right? Yes. And Zeke is? About four and a half. Four and a half. Five in December. Okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah, five in December. Yeah, that's right. We share the birthday month. Mm -hmm. I forget that. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, when did you guys start to notice some things with, uh, with Zeke? I saw it earlier than Gage. Um, so growing up, when I was in high school, we did, I was in a class with special needs kids where we just taught them basic life skills. We okay. did cooking with them, we played games with them, went to the grocery store with them, that kind of stuff. Um, it was also hard, though, because he was after Maddox, who was exceptionally great at communication. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's always been talking, it seems like, and doesn't ever stop. 
So having a child with a speech delay after one that excelled in speech was challenging. So I would compare Zeke to Maddox. Well, Maddox was speaking full sentences sure. by so-and-so date, and Zeke is not. So I would say that I noticed it around the 18-month mark, okay. maybe a little bit before then. We brought it up to the pediatrician, and they basically just say, wait until he's two. Mm. There's so much a range of language and communication abilities in the first two years of life. So he would keep telling us um, time and time again after we were doing just a welfare check um, that just wait until he's two years old. And then when he was two years old and still didn't have any communication abilities, that's when we were able to actually start the process of looking in different areas of why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so second kid, which mm -hmm. makes it a little bit more difficult, right? Because like you said, like you're comparing him to right. Maddox. If you guys know Maddox, you know that he has never stopped. Um, I'm convinced he sleeps running. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dude, it's full of energy, man. Yes. Um, yeah, so so how, I mean, so Crystal, you start to notice some things and mm -hmm. express that to the pediatrician, and they basically just tell you, well, just wait longer. Right. So how, like, how do you feel about that? Like, you're questioning, like, hey, like, things are not going the way it did before, so what do we do with that? And the person you're asking for help says, well, just wait. Yeah, so I think at the time I had a lot of anxiety about it just because, again, he wasn't following the same steps his brother did. Um, Gage kind of more so relied, doc like, relied heavily on our doctor. And he's like, well, he says it's okay. So he was kind of the person talking into my ear saying, mm -hmm. it's okay, just wait. Um, and eventually we got to the two-year mark and... You know, internally, I'm like, well, he's still not doing it, so can we please do something now? And yeah. thankfully, we do have a great doctor, though, and he always took our concerns into question. And Sure. So, so at that point, still really no development. He's not really communicating. Um, no. So you start going through some assessments and, right. and different things. So, so talk, talk about that. Like, just the longevity of that, how did that process go? Um, yeah. yeah, so um, again, we have a great pediatrician. He was awesome. When we got to his two-year appointment, I think I'm the one that took Zeke. I think he might have been working um, just because I'm a teacher, so I had time off. Makes it great around that birth time. Um, like, he was not talking. He wasn't responding to his name being called. He wouldn't look you directly in the eye um, when spoken to or when he was talking to you, he would play by himself and didn't really care about interacting with others. So a ton of different de developmental delays in communication and socialization and things of that nature. And so the pediatrician was like, yep, something's off. I'm just going to refer you to anybody and everybody so we can kind of figure out what, what's happening. We didn't really know um, what was going on or where we were going. And there was about a six-month process between January and June, July. Um, where we saw a bunch of different doctors. And this was around COVID time, so appointments were even further pushed back and they were harder to get into because offices weren't as open and readily available because they were limiting the number of people in the offices at times and of sorts. Um, so it seemed like it took a really long time. 
Um, and then we went to uh, Blanks. So first, go ahead. So the first avenue that we looked through was whether or not he could hear us. So we were wondering if maybe there was a hearing impairment that he couldn't hear us. That's why he can't speak. And you know, we would call his name. He wouldn't look at us. So he passed his hearing screening. Um, we ended up going to child serve, and that was. Um, like February, so his birthday is in December. He would have been two, a little over two. Um, he had a speech and language evaluation there. They gave him a communication ability of zero to six months. And then um, we were referred on to Blank Children's Development, and we didn't really know what that was. We thought it was just another speech evaluation, um, but they sat him down. They had toys that they wanted to interact with him and of course he wasn't interacting they would do things like taking things away and she's like like a normal kid would look at you or look at the parents like why are they taking this from me and she said no he like look straight at the object and just try to you know get it back um but that was where we received his autism diagnosis in july of 2021 so a year two and a half years yeah, and that was, so with autism, um, its actual diagnosis is called ASD or Autism Spectrum Disorder. So there is a broad spectrum. Um, this is all coming just from my educational side of, of things. But basically there's um, three levels on the spectrum currently, the way that they're diagnosed. Uh, level one being very mild, moderate, and level three being um, severe and profound. And so Zeke was diagnosed with level three, which was like, that was tough. Um, but through interventions and therapies and stuff, like he's definitely, I would say he's not at that level three anymore. Um, and that's the, the great thing is with proper intervention um, and things like that, like it is a spectrum so the, the kids can move back and forth. Like just because he was diagnosed level three doesn't mean that he won't be a functioning adult uh, when he gets older um, and things like that. We don't know what that looks like, but um, you know, we have hopes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what were your, <clears throat> I mean, you, you said that was hard, but what were your initial thoughts and feelings when Zeke was diagnosed with autism? Well, like we said, we didn't realize what the Blank Children's Development Center was, like what it was for. So we had no idea walking in that we could be walking out receiving an autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. We just thought it was going to be another speech um, pathologist to basically say, here, come to our services and we'll give him speech and language therapy. Um, so when we walked in there and, you know, she sat him down, we did all these things, and then all of a sudden she comes back saying that he has autism, we had absolutely, we were blindsided. We didn't know um, that was going to be coming. So leaving the um, appointment we were both pretty rattled because we weren't sure you know what that meant and you basically get an entire list of well now you need to do this this and this and mm -hmm. it was just like this laundry list of things and we weren't really sure where to go I think yeah so <clears throat> so you get a diagnosis mm -hmm. here's a laundry list of things that you got to do so so how do, you, how do you go from a diagnosis to where he is today? Like, mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah, so again, it was the summer. I was off. 
Maddox was still in daycare, so that was kind of nice. Um, so like that next week was a whirlwind. I made, oh gosh, countless phone calls. Like there's so many services that are offered. Once you, the great thing is once you get the diagnosis, there's so much that can happen. But in that waiting time period, like you can't do anything because you don't have a diagnosis, so services aren't available to you. Um, really, we only had the speech, and we did that, and it just was too far of a drive because we were living in Redfield at the time. Child serves in Johnston, so I would take Zeke once a week for 30 minutes for like you know a two three hour round trip, and it just we weren't seeing any progress, so it was it was it wasn't good. We ultimately stopped those, but yeah, once we got the diagnosis, I made a bunch of phone calls. Um, and we found out that there's this, it's controversial in the autism world, but we felt that um, it was something we wanted to look into. So there's this therapy called ABA, which stands for Applied Behavioral Analysis. Um, and it's controversial because some people think that it's looking to cure the autism, which if you know anything about autism, autism can't be cured. Like Zeke will always be autistic regardless where he's at on the spectrum. Um, but what ABA does is it uh, works with the student or child to help them live their life and to, I don't want to use the word conform, but to, to adjust. adjust in a world that has social standards um, and to behave a specific way and to communicate and to do the things that you're expected to do in this world. So um, we are, we ended up finding, there's a couple of places we looked at, um, but they're really, really expensive. Uh, ABA is not cheap. Uh, there's a couple full-time facilities. Um, one's called Balance Autism which is in like Clive, and then there's another one called Stride Autism, which is one we looked into, but it's about $120,000 a year um, in order to go to that one. And obviously, if you don't have Medicaid or anything, and at the time, we didn't, um, so we were paying for everything out of pocket um, with Crystal's insurance at the time, because the school insurance is just crazy expensive to have a family on there. Um, but we ended up finding a provider here in Adel um, on the square right across from Adel TV Winterset uh, called IBT, or innovative behavioral therapy. And um, I think we talked to her in August. So Ashley is the BCBA that runs the clinic. And we were able to get services in September. And that was kind of hard because like she was super booked, but we were just like, we're just, we want to get them in. So we're flexible with scheduling and time and to do whatever you want to do. Um, and to kind of go along with that, like we ended up making the decision that we were going to move to Adel. Go ahead. Okay. So alongside ABA, we were working with Heartland AEA for early access intervention. So they would come to daycare, they would do therapies with him at daycare. So they told us, um, we were working with the West Central team because at the time we were working, or we were living in Redfield. So they said, once he turns three years old, his early access intervention drops off and it changes to school-based services. So you can, so when he turns three, again, this was, July, August of, you know, the year he's about to turn three in December. He said he'll qualify for preschool services in Stewart. Well, Gage was working at Urbandale at the school at that time. I work in Waukee. We lived in Redfield. There was no way we could make a preschool in Stewart work. So then we had to talk about a whole list of things of, you know, whether or not we stay in Redfield and we, you know, hire a nanny for him whether we move to Adel so we can at least make the Adel preschool work. Do we move even further west, right? East. East. <laughs> and uh, closer to where we were both working. But we were already here at Restoration and we, that played a big role into not wanting to move further and find a new church and all that stuff. So 
we ended up deciding that our best route would be to get into Adel so we could go to ADM preschool. They would be able to provide shuttle services to and from preschool for him. So that really drove our need to move and our need to move right away. Yeah. It was, we started them in, yeah, I think it was actually July because we had our house listed by Sweet Corn Festival that year mm -hmm. to get into yeah. Adele. Yeah, it all happened relatively quickly. Very quick. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, obviously you guys are seeing the benefits of being able to get to Adele and have those services mm -hmm. and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it is improving, right? Um, we never know if he's going to have shoes on, but... He won't. Likely not. That's totally fine, <laughs> right? I just expect that he doesn't have shoes. Yeah. Um, so how, <clears throat> how has your parenting <laughs> changed? Because, I mean, you, you still have Maddox, who is very high energy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and doesn't have to go to all of these appointments and things that Zeke does, but they're brothers. They live together in the same house. So, so how, how has your parenting shifted and you guys have um, adapted to to all of this yeah um it's hard it's unfair at times and it's really difficult to communicate that with maddox because while zeke's doing a lot better and he is able to so in the beginning he was not able to communicate anything so his tantrums were just terrible because he can't communicate basic needs he can't say he's thirsty he can't say he wants something to eat he can't mm -hmm. tell us anything he doesn't know how to point he doesn't know how to do anything like he's his ability to communicate it's again at zero to six months so like oh, it was a whirlwind of just tantrums and like how do you parent that because the kid's not doing anything and the diagnosis helped to realize that like okay we're not doing anything wrong like there's something wrong here and we have to figure out what that looks like sure. um and so for me like i'm a pretty strict disciplinarian i think like i grew up in a household where discipline was very like extreme extremely strict you said yes ma'am and yes sir and like you did what you were told and you didn't back talk and so like i don't think i'm as big of a dictator but a lot of those things have rubbed off on me and so like i'm definitely like that more so with maddox and to to parent zeke is so difficult because i can't i can't expect him to do the things that i would expect maddox to do or i can't expect him to understand and so when he doesn't listen and he throws a tantrum like it's just really hard to no or when we give him something because we know we just don't want to fight that fight and we don't want to have a tantrum and then maddox says well hey that's not fair like it's hard how do you tell your kid like i'm sorry like you're right it's not fair but that's how it's going to be so we're still tiptoeing around that it's not done well but sure i think we also have been more patient with messes <laughs> so Maddox is always making messes, but Zeke is trying to be very independent and it's trying to find that level of independence that comes with raising a child. So, you know, he wants to pour his own orange juice and I think we've lost over a whole gallon of orange juice on sure. the floor. Sure. Um, but like we also just have noticed that with Maddox as he's grown, like, oh, we should have done this better because a lot of times with him, it would be like, oh, it's just easier for me to do it. Oh, like here, come here and make me zip up your coat because mm -hmm. we need to get out the door. And just like, kind of taking time to slow down and be like, there are still lessons to be learned. Sure. 
even if it takes a little extra patience. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so in this journey, what what is a is there a a truth in scripture, a verse, a passage that you guys kind of hold on to, like um, even even at the same time that you're saying this isn't fair, right? Yeah. Um, so when we sat down and talked about this specific question you had, like I think we both came to the same realization that like regardless of Zeke's autism diagnosis, like we're all made in the image of God. So. Then I also um, reflect on the Psalms 139, 13 through 16, where, you know, it talks about, you know, you form my inward parts. God knew Zeke before, you know, as he was creating him. Like, you created me in my mother's womb. Like, God doesn't make mistakes. And God puts people on this earth for a reason and to glorify him and to let his story be known. So I think it's comforting knowing, like, he's not a mistake. Like, his diagnosis is not a mistake. The way he acts and the way he processes things is not a mistake. God is using it in his story. Yeah, so so in this story, as God is um, using Zeke to, let's be honest, grow all of us, right? How how has the church come alongside of you guys? Um, there's been a lot of ways. Um, of course, we were here in the church when we received the diagnosis, so we you know, had people just reaching out and seeing how we were doing, um, just talking to us about it. Uh, we've had a large number of the women in the church help with um, transportation to and from therapies here in town. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work all that well for me working in Waukee and his therapies being in the middle of the day. So we've had that. Um, just people welcoming our entire family, but especially Zeke when he walks in the door on, you know, a Sunday morning or MCG or any, or sorry, it's been a while. That's how long you've been here. <laughs> um, or, you know, any gathering where they see him out and about. It could be t-ball games. It could be anything. Yeah. Because he's not usually going to go out by himself and make that interaction. Sure. But just like as he grows, he's going to know that there are people here that care for him and maybe people that he can go to if he ever makes that step. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so go off of that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, the people have showed up, right? Yes. Um, which is evident by the fact that Zeke's not sitting up here with you this morning, right? <laughs> right. Zeke is in kids ministry. Yes. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen him, so he hasn't escaped. Today, <laughs> um, which is a good thing, right. right? But also fun sometimes when he does escape. Um, so, challenge. I'm I'm going to give you guys permission to challenge us. How can the church show up better? Not just for you guys, but how can we really care for families who have special needs kids? Yeah. So I was looking into this um, just because when. I was originally thinking of this question. My response was, I don't know. I think we're doing okay. 
<laughs> um, but then I was reading like other people's stories and it was um, like, okay. sorry. I remember. So um, one in five families or one in five individuals who have some sort of disability or special needs um, actually attend church. Um, that's not the one? Okay. No. I thought I had it. <laughs> <laughs> one in five individuals have some sort of disability, whether that be, you know, a psychological disability, it could be something like um, Parkinson's, or you know, there's just a wide spectrum of, you know, how disabilities come. But one in five individuals has disabilities. So in the church as a whole, not necessarily just in this room, but mm -hmm. we should see individuals with disabilities coming in the doors. Because if they're not, then we're missing a huge group of um, individuals. Yeah, just individuals, families that aren't hearing the gospel. Um, another study said that like one in two, or children that have autism, their families are twice as likely to never attend church just because it's hard and it's easier for them to stay home. Mm -hmm. And there's been times, even us, as we've been in the church, when he was younger, when he had no communication ability, um, wasn't in kids' ministry, like he didn't want to go back to kids' ministry, um, mm -hmm. we would basically just be out walking with him outside <laughs> during the church service, and we would talk to each other, like, what are we really getting out of going if, like, should one of us just stay home with him while the other one attends, and then we can flip-flop? But it's the fact that the church and God, all of it is just as much for Zeke as it is for us. So by one of us just staying home with him, he would be missing all of it. Yeah, so I guess to answer the question, the challenge would be like, help us because it might seem on surface level that we've got it all figured out and that we have our routines with Zeke and we know what we're doing, but like, we don't. Uh, I mean, just yesterday there was, I mean, ju just yesterday, like there were a couple times where he did something and I snapped. I had a bad moment because I was just over it. Like he hadn't been doing any of the things we were asking and we needed to go do somewhere. And I kind of just snapped at him and went off on him. And, but it's like, yeah, we, we don't know what we're going to get with Zeke and it's really difficult. And like, this is probably the second time that we've been in service together without having to have gotten him or something like that, just because he... He's tough. It's challenging yeah. at times, and we understand that he's tough back there too. But like, we need this, and it's important for us to like worship and hear a message together as as a husband and wife. And so, like, just help us be able to do that. Yeah. And then one other thing is, like I had previously said about how a way the church has been there for us is just acknowledging them when they walk in the door, you know, greeting them. And I feel like a lot of times people feel judged by, you know, if their child starts screaming in the service or if they're misbehaving, backing kids. And I think that we should just, um, just welcome them and not be first to judge. Everybody has a story. And yeah. again, in those like pre-diagnosis periods, you have no idea why these things are happening. Sure. So. They might not even know, you know, 
why their child or just them as an individual struggles. And I think just making sure that they feel welcomed and that the church should be, there's so many areas to where Zeke or our family struggles going to, like doctor's appointments, dentists. They're all struggles. It could be the grocery store. But I think the church should come around them to make the church like a sanctuary mm. for those people, not another area to where they're worried about how their child yeah. is acting or. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for being honest, guys. I, I know this hasn't been easy. Um, it's not what you planned for, right? Um, but God still loves you. Uh, he loves Zeke, and, and I think he's showing us that every day, right? So let me, let me pray for you guys.